This is The Guardian. I'm Gabrielle Jackson coming to you from Gadigal Land and this is The Full Story, Newsroom Edition, where Guardian Australia's editors discuss the news of the week. I'm not looking for sympathy and I'm not looking for an excuse. Last week, a video of Barnaby Joyce emerged. In it, he can be seen lying on a Canberra footpath, late at night and dressed in a suit, swearing obscenities into his phone. I sat on a planter box, I fell off and I was videotaped. There you go. What else can you say? The former Deputy Prime Minister tried to shake off the controversy, saying he was taking prescription medication that had badly interacted with alcohol. And they say certain things may happen to you if you drink, and they were absolutely 100% right. They did. Some critics have called for Joyce to quit over the incident, while others have shrugged it off as an unfortunate mistake not worthy of attention. But is it in the public interest to report such incidents? And are politicians entitled to a private life? Today, I'm talking to Editor-in-Chief Lenore Taylor and Head of Newsroom Mike Tisher about the politics of privacy in public life. It's Friday, the 16th of February. Tired of ads barging into your favourite news podcasts? Good news. Ad-free listening is available on Amazon Music for all the music plus top podcasts included with your Prime membership. Stay up to date on everything newsworthy by downloading the Amazon Music app for free or go to amazon.com slash news ad free. That's amazon.com slash news ad free to catch up on the latest episodes without the ads. Finding your perfect home was hard, but thanks to Burrow, furnishing it has never been easier. Burrow's easy-to-assemble modular sofas and sectionals are made from premium, durable materials, including stain and scratch-resistant fabrics. So they're not just comfortable and stylish, they're built to last. Plus, every single Burrow order ships free right to your door. Right now, get 15% off your first order at burrow.com slash ACAST. That's 15% off at burrow.com slash ACAST. Good morning, Lenore. Morning, Gabs. Welcome back to Newsroom Edition. Thank you. Good morning, Mike. Hi, Gabs. How are you going? Barnaby Joyce has been back in the news again. It's raised an age-old issue for the media. What is the line between public and private in political coverage? Yeah, well, the line is murky and it kind of shifts around, so it is a difficult question. I don't think anybody's arguing that it was wrong to report on Barnaby's sidewalk interlude. You know, a shadow minister lying on the ground talking obscenities into his phone, you know, I think that's a story. His wife, Vicky Campion, who you'll remember was his media advisor, so she's quite versed in these things, kind of immediately tried to deflect it off into the person who took the footage of him was a horrible person for not wanting to help him and, you know, whatever, maybe, but that's kind of not the point. And then they were talking about how he's on medication and, you know, mix it with alcohol, that's bad. Well, yes, true. Also not entirely the point. His party leader wants him to stand down. That gets into the, you know, internecine fights in the National Party. I guess for reporters and editors, it raises the questions about where we draw the line about reporting on politicians and their private lives. And the truth is, as I said, that's a murky line, but, you know, we reported on this story and I think that's the right thing to do because of his position, because it was 
public. I think it was clearly in the public interest to explore it. But, you know, then it does raise questions like, do we report on every politician that gets drunk? I mean, that would be a lot of stories. (laughs) And, you know, journalists have been known to over-imbibe occasionally themselves. So there's no clear lines here is what I'm trying to say. It wasn't Barnaby Joyce's first rodeo, Mike. Does that also feed into how it's reported or does that feed into, like, making it more in the public interest this time? I think it does in this case because I guess you always always have to try to ask yourself, which is what is the actual public interest in the story? It's not that people are interested in it. It's obviously quite different. And I think in this case the public interest argument is that it goes to his competence, his ability to do his job, his character, perhaps. Um, as Lenore said, many of us have had experiences with alcohol. People uh, in many glass hotels. Many of them, hotel. <laughs> many of them <laughs> quite bad. But when you've had a succession of very public incidents and you are a minister or a former minister or a former, you know, pr- prominent politician. Or a person who wants to be the National Party leader yeah. again. It does go partly to your character and to your judgment. In some cases, you know, if you really have an alcohol problem, you know, not obviously not privy to Barnaby Joyce's intimate um, medical details, but if you're addicted to alcohol, then that is obviously goes to your competence to do your job as well. Um, I think that is the public interest in this case, and I agree with Lenore that in this particular instance it's fairly clear, but in many others it is definitely not. It's tricky. Mm. Yeah, what are some of the others where you maybe have had to battle this issue about public and private, Lenore? Um, Well, there's lots of them. I mean, with Barnaby, there was the original story about his relationship with Vicky Campion and her pregnancy. And in that case, the first problem for us was verifying it. I mean, everyone had heard the rumours, but we couldn't verify that it was true and he wouldn't talk about it. The Daily Telly took a picture of her, obviously pregnant, and that was what started the story going. Now, I had some problems with her being on the front page of the Daily Telegraph pregnant because, you know, it's really a story about him rather than her. Mm. But that was the way that they verified the story quite graphically. And I do think that was a story. There are other examples where I've found it very difficult and, and I felt much less comfortable. I mean, there was one in 2010 when Channel 7 ran footage of a married New South Wales Cabinet Minister, David Campbell, coming out of a gay sauna. And their initial justification was, well, he drove his official car there. I mean, really? This guy had not told anybody, you know, that he had gay relations. And it was a complete secret. They also justified it in that he was married and used pictures of his family on his political material. I felt much less comfortable with that and it caused a really big debate at the time. I mean, some people made a point, which I guess there's some credibility, that he had been police minister and having a big secret like that leaves you open to pressure, bribery, whatever. Others, like former High Court Justice Michael Kirby, said it was just straight-out homophobia, That was a really tricky one and I don't think I would have published that one. I mean, there's many, many more, but they're Mm. just two that come to mind. You also have to take into consideration the fact that they are curating a particular view of their private life, as all politicians do. And I think, you know, most recently Scott Morrison is probably the most obvious example of this, of how he, not that I'm suggesting there's anything not valid about the way he presented his private life, but they might go out of their way to show them interacting with their family, like I'm a completely normal guy, I'm a normal suburban dad. That was his shtick. Everyone has their own one, but generally a kind of... I'm like you, I'm like <laughs> like the people who they want to vote for them. And if that 
duration of their private life is at odds with the reality, then that muddies the waters further about whether it's justifiable to report something that, you know, disrupts that picture, I think. Yeah, I mean, I think that line is also malleable. If it's a strong family values politician who votes on lots of social issues in that way and makes a huge deal of it and then you find out that, you know, there's multiple affairs going on or other things in their private life that completely contradict their public strong stance, that's one thing. But if it's just, you know, a backbencher who put a picture of him and his wife on or her and her husband on the website and is having a consensual affair with someone who they're not in a position of power over, well, that's just their private life, like, it happens. You know, it used to be said that that was one of the defining things, that we reported on things that were either um, contradiction in terms of a politician's public duties or conflicted with their public persona so that there was sort of blatant hypocrisy there. But, you know, it's it's just not always an easy line to draw, I don't think. There has been some issues raised this week about the standards expected of politicians and some female MPs spoke out in The Guardian saying, you know, we need to enforce better standards. You know, are we holding them to a higher standard and should we? I think we need to separate those issues out. I mean, the issue of how politicians behave and the rules and repercussions for that enforced in the parliament is one thing. We have to decide what we think is in the public interest and what we think is an acceptable level of privacy for politicians to have. And I think they're sort of two slightly different things. I mean, we've never claimed to have the right to report on everything that we know about a politician. And that's not because we're in some kind of incestuous club or part of a bubble or whatever. It's because they do deserve some degree of privacy. And I think that sometimes lost, certainly in the social media debate. It's like everything they do should be out there. And if a journalist knows something and doesn't report it, they're somehow complicit in some terrible cover-up. But I do think politicians have a right to some degree of privacy. And, you know, it's in our code of conduct. We have a code of conduct that says that we have to consider the public good that follows from the publication of something that is intrusive. We have to consider whether the person is in the public eye or isn't in the public eye. Like there's a set of rules and conditions that we need to think about and it isn't open slather and I don't think it should be open slather. I think, you know, some between things that take place in public, like literally in the public eye and things that take place inside, particularly inside Parliament itself, if we're talking about things like sexual harassment and inappropriate behaviour of that kind behind closed doors, that is obviously... The, the fact that it's in private doesn't mean it shouldn't be reported on. No. If we know about it, it should clearly should be reported on when, when there is the evidence for it. But as far as people presenting themselves in public, I think... I'm just trying to imagine what it would be like in our... In our workplace, if someone was found, was filmed lying down drunk in the middle of the street, I think to say that's not appropriate behaviour for anyone, but like we don't expect the people to be saints, but I think Mm. there is a minimum level of behaviour that perhaps people in other jobs could to some extent get away with, but that one was certainly well above (laughs) the line. But then there's also the question of how vigorously we pursue these sorts of things, and this is really tricky. So I always felt a little bit uncomfortable with the fact that broadsheets often waited till a tabloid 
publish something and then jumped on the bandwagon but wouldn't have published it themselves first. Now it's almost like everyone waits until something goes on social media and then, oh, okay, we can publish it now. Like I think we have to be true to our own guidelines but then I don't really want to put resources into following people around and sneaking around and seeing who's going in and out of people's bedrooms or, you know, like we just don't do that. That happens in other countries and, and it's never really happened here, and I hope it doesn't happen here. So I, I don't have an easy answer to that because that does take you back to, well, it's when you stumble over something on social media or, you know, when somebody else publishes it. I'm not going to send an investigative reporter to figure out Barnaby Joyce's drinking habits or whatever. Like, that's not what we do. But it, I think it is a valid question. And who then do you choose to follow around and mm. why? Yeah, I mean, it's just mm. not and what it, we do. And if that kind of culture does develop, then you have the potential problem that it restricts this kind of people who feel like they can go into politics if people have a anything have a in past, their past. Yeah. Yeah. or a tendency just to be you know out there in their in their social life. like a party yeah, yeah. like the um, Finnish prime minister exactly, dancing like at Finnish, a party yeah exactly then maybe they feel like they're going to be exposed on social media it must be really hideous to have your life exposed in that way and for your family as well so there is that danger I think that it might make people think twice about going into politics or other parts of public life where they might have a very valuable contribution to make. One of the times when there was a sort of step change, I think, in how we viewed these things was when Laurie Oakes wrote about or revealed the affair between Gareth Evans and Cheryl Curnow. And it was like long after they'd both left politics, the hook was her publishing her autobiography, which was called Speaking for Myself, but she'd left out this this affair which happened around the time when she defected from the Australian Democrats and went to Labor. So there was sort of a political backdrop to it. And that caused a huge debate in journalist circles. I remember I was with John Howard and the travelling press pack in Berlin when the story broke. And it was kind of in a way hilarious because all the travelling media were sent off to find Gareth Evans somewhere in Europe. And they didn't know if he was in London or Brussels. Like, people were just going on these wild goose chases and poor old John Howard had no one left following him around on his trip. But I do think that story was a, a step change because a lot of the sort of older journalists thought it was the wrong thing to do. And after that, you know, I think there was a slightly different view. But there's been times in my career when... You know, I've taken a pretty strong view against publishing something. I mean, someone once leaked me the private diary of a frontbencher and the ostensible public interest was that they were saying things in that diary about their then leader. But it was the tortured kind of private musings of a person who clearly was in a very bad place and I just could see no justification at all for using it. You know, I binned it. And the person who leaked it to me was quite astonished and thought it was definitely a story, but I just could not see any justification for that level of personal intrusion. Mm. Another time I think when I think the media got it wrong was um, when Mark Latham was opposition leader and there was a whole bunch of stories on TV and in print about an alleged raunchy video from his Bucks night. And this was reported as fact, but no one ever produced the video and no one ever claimed to have seen the video. And I think Mark Latham was quite rightly aggrieved by that reporting because 
no one verified it. And that's the bottom line of journalism. You, you know, you don't report rumours. You know, even if you think they're quite solid rumours, you need verification and, and no one had it in that case. What are the dangers if and when the media gets this wrong? Well, I think if the media gets it wrong too often and too spectacularly and they're too out of step with public opinion about what's reasonable or not, then governments legislate. And that can be very difficult for the media. So, you know, I think you always have to bear that in mind. The Australian government's in the throes of reforming privacy laws right now. The media pushed very hard and eventually did get an exemption from those privacy laws. But there is still a problem hanging over us that's not yet uh, resolved, which is that the government wants it to introduce a tort of privacy. And the government is saying the standard of proof, like the, the benchmark would be so high that we don't need to worry, you know, nobody would be able to sort of succeed with just vexatious claims. What the media is arguing to the government is that that's not the only thing to bear in mind because it will give very wealthy individuals another tool to use to frustrate reporting. It will give uh, very wealthy individuals the ability to uh, start legal action. It'll be like another route like defamation law to try to stop investigative journalism. And so the media is sort of pushing back quite hard against this because of those concerns. I think that if we push back against those concerns, we have to be very mindful and very conscious about these decisions and very deliberate about these decisions. And we have to have very effective complaints mechanisms for people who think they've been treated badly or their privacy has been intruded on. If we don't want to be policed like that, we need to really think about it and be conscious about these decisions ourselves. Next, big and small gestures of love. Hey, Jane Lee here with a quick note about The Guardian. Guardian Weekly is the only place you can receive The Guardian's independent journalism in print in a magazine that gets delivered to your door. It covers global news, long reads, the environment and more. The Guardian's offering new Australian subscribers 12 issues for $12, which is 90% off the normal price. The offer's only available until the 11th of March. So just search Guardian Weekly subscription to find out more. And for the full terms and conditions, head to theguardian.com forward slash weekly terms. Thanks. Hey, I'm Ryan Reynolds. Recently, I asked Mint Mobile's legal team if big wireless companies are allowed to raise prices due to inflation. They said yes. And then when I asked if raising prices technically violates those onerous two-year contracts, they said, what the f*** are you talking about, you insane Hollywood ass. So to recap, we're cutting the price of Mint Unlimited from $30 a month to just $15 a month. Give it a try at mintmobile.com slash switch. $45 up front for three months plus taxes and fees. Promote for new customers for limited time. Unlimited more than 40 gigabytes per month. Slows full terms at mintmobile.com. Tired of ads barging into your favorite news podcasts? Good news. Ad-free listening is available on Amazon Music for all the music plus top podcasts included with your Prime membership. Stay up to date on everything newsworthy by downloading the Amazon Music app for free. Or go to amazon.com slash news ad free. That's amazon.com slash news ad free to catch up on the latest episodes without the ads. Now we come to what we can't get out of our head. Mike, I'll start with you. What can't you get out of your head? So my story this week is a much more wholesome one than all the things we've been discussing so far. It's just 
a Valentine's Day story which we ran where we asked readers to send in examples of how their partner made them feel loved, I guess, is the question. Yeah, that was, that was, the, that was the actual question that was put to them. And I don't know if, if the answers we published were representative of the entire post bag, but they're very, um, how do you put it, like minimalist. <laughs> <laughs> very very small gestures. Are you demonstrative, Mike? <laughs> no, I no, I like. I really liked it. I thought it was really. It was actually r- real things that people mm. liked, of which included things like people. What well, the headline is: He always de-seeds my tomatoes. Seventeen <laughs> little gestures that make you feel loved. Other ones were like filling the car up with windscreen water fluid without telling them. <laughs> and yeah, I love I the de-seeding the tomatoes. <laughs> <laughs> I wish, I yeah. No one DC's and, and, and a huge rift has been exposed <laughs> in deseeding tomatoes in this in this podcast group. Lenore, what is it for you this week? Well, while we're on love, um, Albo and Jodie Hayden are engaged, and um, the news broke uh, on Thursday, uh, and it's just a really happy, nice story. He apparently had proposed on Valentine's Day, which. Some people might think it's cheesy, but I'm not going to take I'm not going to take any shine <laughs> off their parade. I'm very happy for them, and they seem really happy. I really want to see Toto walking down the aisle. That's, definitely, will. that's my one request for this I wedding. I think you're going to be completely <laughs> fulfilled on that front. The first dog, as our deputy editor David Monk called him today. I really want to see a downbeat Marrickville wedding. Um, well, at the Bolo, the all, the local, all the local spots. I'm going to put money on them not getting married at the Marrickville Bolo. I suspect you might be right about that. <laughs> Has there ever been a prime minister who got married while in office? Apparently not. Not that I can. Not think in Australia. Of. No. Wow. No. Interesting. Well, anyway, congratulations a... to them. Is yeah. all I can say. Me too. <laughs> Thank you so much for joining us today, Lenore. Thanks, Gabs. Thanks, Mike. Thanks a lot. That's it for today. If you liked what you heard, don't forget to subscribe to Full Story wherever you get your podcasts. You can even let us know what you think by leaving a review. This episode was produced by Camilla Hannan and Daniel Simo. I'm Gabrielle Jackson and we'll be back with another episode of Full Story for you on Monday. Have a great weekend. dust coming from still finding debris after vacuuming eufy x10 pro omni robot vacuum has 8,000 pa of powerful suction to remove debris deep in carpets and it's totally hands-free want to know more go to eufy.com that's eufy.com and discover x10 pro omni the best in class all-in-one robot vacuum for only $799. Tired of ads barging into your favorite news podcasts? Good news. Ad-free listening is available on Amazon Music for all the music plus top podcasts included with your Prime membership. Stay up to date on everything newsworthy by downloading the Amazon Music app for free or go to amazon.com slash news ad free. That's amazon.com slash news ad free to catch up on the latest episodes without the ads.